Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello everyone, hope you're well, thank you for uh, tuning into the podcast again. Today I am joined by two guests, which is the first time I've ever had two people in the studio before, so this will be interesting. But um, today I'm in uh, with Colafon, is that how you pronounce it by the way? Yeah. It is, right. Uh, So Anthony and Ed, just to give everyone a bit of an introduction, Colafon is an international award-winning type foundry based in London and Los Angeles. They were founded in 2009 by Ed Harrington and Anthony Sherritt. Yep. God, I'm good. I'm good yeah, at pronunciation right today. <laughs> Tasked themselves with creating and publishing and distributing high-quality retail and custom typefaces for analog and digital media. Since then, they've worked for a huge roster of clients spanning from practically the whole alphabet, from Coke to Google through to GQ and Rafa. They've also worked in collaboration with Top Flight Studios, including Sagmeister and Walsh, Wyden and Kennedy and Wolf Hollins, among others. Basically... They've absolutely uh, dominated the creative landscape, and it's a pleasure to have them on the show. So, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for Thank having you. us. Um, I firstly just wanted to like mention a, a bit of the tedious link about how mm. I come into contact with you guys. So, I worked with Tom Bird. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah, with yeah. Tom. Yeah, mm. so Tom was the copywriter to, to me being the art director at Widens. And then um, he introduced me to Jack Benson, and I went and did filmmaking with Jack, who introduced me to Connor, and then <laughs> Connor mentioned you guys. And um, it seemed like whatever was in the water at your uni, everyone seems to be doing really great stuff. So where did you actually study and what was your experiences like there? So it's a bit of a funny story. So we, both myself and Anthony, uh, met at Brighton University and we started in 2006, which does seem like quite a long time ago now. But we started then and we had kind of quite different friendship circles. And then in the second year... We were walking back to kind of uh, wherever we were going and I mentioned that I I wanted to go to Japan and two weeks later we'd decided that we were going to go and we were in Japan with no kind of real plan 
which is a recurring kind of theme and uh, as we went through this trip um, and during that time um, in the, on this holiday we decided that we'd kind of it would be quite fun to start a, a design studio or work together a bit more so after that um, Anthony left in the second year which uh, I'm sure you'll talk about in a, in a moment but um, I graduated just in 2009 um, and graduated off the BA graphic design course um, and then we, we kind of started up the design studio um, while I was still in university and then started the type type foundry um, shortly thereafter in the in the April. What's interesting me, uh, interesting me is that you know Jack Benson's uh, kind of filmmaker musician Connor was did history <laughs> do, mm. I believe so was it drinking and clubbing or well, like how did you guys all meet? So um, Connor is actually a really good friend. Oh, well, he's, he's the brother of my really good friend Matt, and that's how I know him. So I, I grew up with Connor um, back up in the Fens and. Uh, I also know, yeah, so we kind of knew him through there. And then it was once he started uh, kind of learning to code and doing development work that we actually got uh, got acquainted a bit more and started working together tentatively. He actually kind of, he, he shared a studio space with us. Um, he rented a desk from us for, I think, about six months um, in 2013 or 14. Yeah, so um, where is your studio based? We're in Hackney Downs. Okay. So just north of Shoreditch. So ah, oh, wicked. So before I get into this, and just to explain, like I've broken this down into the process <coughs> of type and also uh, the business side, which is what particularly interests me. Mm. But I'm sure there's loads of type bu- type buffs out there that really want <laughs> want more info. <laughs> want the juice? Yeah, that's it. But I thought uh, I, if we could just start, could you explain a little bit the difference between a font and a typeface? And you're talking about font families, just so that when we're having this conversation, people aren't getting lost. Yeah, so I think I'm going to get this right, but uh, a font is the like container of the design. So a font, it used to be uh, like a particular size, so it could be the uh, set at certain point size in metal type, for example, and now it is kind of referred to as like the software um, that that the design contains, and a typeface is the actual design of the set of characters itself. So there, that's the differentiation between the two. Right. Okay, so I always thought, so this is, it, it hits my naivety of being a designer already, but I always thought a typeface contained multiple families. But is that is that incorrect? It kind of does, yeah. So you can have multiple uh, faces within uh, a, a typeface, I guess. You can have... Lots of different designs. So you can have a regular, you can have a bold, you can have an italic, uh, and that can span from just a, a single face all the way through to, um, you know, lots and lots. So like up to maybe a, like seventy or so. It really depends on uh, what the designer is trying to accomplish with the design. So, question for both of you: Why type, and why? How did that love develop? I think it's like a. So when we started the studio, we had no clients at all. <clears throat> and, you know, we kind of used, you're sitting there, kind of, we, we sent out, like, we both put in a bit of money and sent out a mailer to, to clients and, like, graphic design works quite slow. So we kind of discussed doing self-commissioned work to a point and both worked out that we'd drawn typefaces independently through our university days and before. And, you know, it was, it was quite a small scene. It was a very, like, it was a very contained scene at that point, like, the software was still quite um, wasn't as kind of like democratic as it is now, 
And I think we really were, it felt like a good vehicle for self-commissioned work and it felt like a very, something that we could kind of grasp onto and, and put out ourselves. So we released three typefaces um, when we launched the Foundry and then kind of went from there really. It was like, you know, something I think that we both understood was very important in graphic design and just kind of like amplified our, you know, amplified what we were doing at the time and and I think also the way we approached it, we approached it in quite a specific way. So I do all of the graphic design work and Ed is much more a sort of technical technical sort of side of things, selling so on the type of design. So if, you know, that splitting of tasks was very important. No, so could could you explain that a little bit more? So you, when you say, right, say graphic design is in yeah. traditional graphic design. Traditional graphic design, like so, like branding, right. print design, book design. Okay. Um, so when we started the business, obviously we wanted to kind of have the biggest offer of service as possible. So we actually like folded an A4 sheet in half and wrote down tasks on each side. Um, and it, it got kind of stupid. It was like tea, the other side, coffee. <laughs> it's like you ring the doorbell, you say the words. Like, you know, kind of like very like basic. But I think in terms of actually how we approach things now, it's something that's it's kept with us because it's that understanding of like you, if you do one thing, you're very, very limited in, in your income stream. Sure. And if you if you spread yourself wider, then you have much more of a chance of staying afloat. Keeping in mind, we started the business on the worst day of the crash. Right. Um, so we were kind of up against it from day one. So we we had to actually try and think kind of in a very sort of you know business model. Of, of, of all the I things guess. people could uh, need <laughs> need at that moment in time, I don't <laughs> think a fresh typeface. typeface isn't the one. I, you know, yeah. But I think I think we kind of um, the market was actually like a lot smaller. And I think we really, um, it was like a good, I think the approach was the right thing to do in sure. that, that time. One thing I was going to ask is I imagine that you've got your de- type development process pretty down to a T by now. And so I thought, um, could you maybe explain like what that process is and also how it's changed from when you started and, mm-hmm. and what mistakes did you guys make and how have you you know changed things? Uh, um, yeah, I guess it's... It actually hasn't changed that much over the years. It's more just become a bit more developed and refined. So we've always started with, again, coming back to that idea of splitting tasks. So when we got a design commission, for example, we would design uh, a typeface for it. That's purely out of the fact that we've ever only ever used our own typefaces with our design work. Um, and that was by necessity as well because we didn't want to buy and couldn't afford other licenses so we actually just decided to use our own tools and this kind of gave us a platform to design something new so rather than picking a typeface and kind of shoehorning it to to the design and going oh this this is quite good but maybe not quite right by creating something new we were able to tailor something exactly to what we needed uh, both in in terms of a concept um, the the requirements like the weights for example and style of it and we we've done that pretty much from day one we've we've kind of worked on projects and these this like type process has become we'll start off very very quickly with just a few characters for example in a rough uh, rough direction and then it will progressively get more and more expanded so we'll draw more characters maybe more weights more styles uh more language support and depending on what's required i was going to say so it's <clears throat> very very rare that 
um, when you start a design project that you've got enough time to <laughs> design a font to go with it, let alone different <laughs> weights for you know different call to actions and mm. ligatures and all yeah. the rest of it. Like uh, that's a that's a luxury to have. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a real um, just kind of what we could have time for uh, there and then. So a lot of the time, you know, I might design a certain amount of characters and then give it to to Anthony, who would then just start designing and then go. Actually, this this would work really well. So I'd be able to then react off that very quickly, and it wouldn't there wouldn't be this formal design process where you're having to like review and uh and do everything like that it was very much a very reactive process and very quick so we'd we'd quickly develop these typefaces that would be very very rudimentary in their construction but um would be quite good just to give the client an idea of what the uh what the design was trying to convey and then over time over the time of the design while that's kind of going on I was then able to refine these these uh these designs and then kind of re resupply Anthony with these with these font files and then that would kind of take a new life into the into the project as well and it, so it would be a very uh step by step process um it wasn't kind of all at once right at the beginning it was uh it was very much what we see it's kind of like a ta- like a table tennis match where it's back and forth all the way through um and that's kind of started right at the very beginning and it still happens now um with our with our projects so could you name your three favorite projects today and what i'll do is is i'll link these up so for anyone that's listening online they can check them out that's really difficult um <laughs> uh, for me one of the most recent uh one of my favorite projects we've um uh, worked on is the typeface for for wales and we were commissioned um by a um, Cardiff-based and Dutch um, half-and-half um, studio called Smorgasbord, and they commissioned us to create a typeface for the country Wales. Um, we created, created a typeface uh, called Cymru Sands, and that was really interesting because we were able to work in... We work in lots of different languages now, like as our kind of fonts have, uh, have grown, you know, from all the way from... Latin-based languages through to Cyrillic, Greek, and Thai. But this was interesting because it's Welsh. It's so close to home, but it's quite alien as well. And we were able to kind of explore the Welsh language in a way that was hasn't really been done before. Like they use um, what's called digraphs, which are two characters which make a particular sound. So a ch character is used as a single kind of character in in their alphabet. And we treated them as independent characters that were used in this font specifically. And I think that's that's probably my favourite project recently because mm. um, it enabled us to really kind of explore something that we were very um, unattuned with. And I think most people are in terms of the Welsh language. I thought that was quite interesting. I think um, probably our work for Google in terms of... So we worked with Google last year. Um, <clears throat> to they relaunched Google Fonts, the open source platform, and they commissioned us to create a type family, and it was quite free reign, kind of follow your own follow your own path, um, but obviously with certain like kind of sections of feedback. So we worked with Benjamin Crittenover in LA, um, and it was really like interesting because we we were able to like look at obviously itself being self driven, we were able to look at like what Google is. Um, 
it's a software company. What do you write software in? You write software in monospace typefaces. So it, normally for us... Um, Sorry, can I interject? What's a monospace typeface? A monospace typeface for, for is, is a typeface. So the letter is doesn't have to be the same width, but the, if you imagine every single letter is in a box... So there are lots of boxes stacked on each on right. top of each other. Yeah. You have a container to design within. Right. Um, so they're normally used for data, uh, annual reports, um, numerical figures, kind of things that need to align vertically and horizontally. Um, so we, so you you code in them, so it enables like quick reading of code, basically. Um, so we looked normally when we design a type family, which is r- kind of extensive they're more of a bolt-on so they sort of you know will design the proportional um side of the family so like, you know regular regular italic bold etc the mono will be like kind of not an afterthought but like a, a stab on um so we decided to look at it as more of a kind of contained unit being for google and somehow inherently connected to software um and then from that, we started to like kind of look at really dystopian and utopian references. So, sort of Back to the Future, Blade Runner, Matrix, kind of things that have uses of type in terminal-based context. So, by terminal-based context, I mean like screens where they're coding or Minority Report. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there was there's always like a certain aesthetic. Yeah. So we sort of like start to call these these moments in as like this kind of. Google is this like kind of like <laughs> weird dystopian like dare I say it monster um, in a good way um, but yeah so it's like just a really interesting approach to be self-driven and they were like super supportive of it um, so we decided we designed like a four cut family two um, two kind of upright variants of the mono and a uh, italic as well um, and then produced a book for them as well and it was, like, it was just like a Really interesting commission rough because it commission it, it felt because it's such like high profile, but we were really allowed to kind of research and like used old references and old sketches we produced back in a few years before, um, and really kind of get into it. And it, it felt it felt like kind of a bit of a dream commission. And then to have someone like that behind you to support what you're doing is it's, it's, is, norm, it's normally you think with a with a big brand that you're going to hit loads of levels of hierarchy and everything, yeah. but you basically were given free reign. They they were super supportive the whole way through the process. Um, and yeah, it's one of my, and also the idea of being open source is just like really interesting for us. You know, this idea of like giving the tool away and it kind of having a life of its own. I'm going to come to that because I've got okay. some really interesting questions <laughs> okay, about that right. kind of stuff. But um, so you've worked with numerous studios, and uh, I was curious to know who your fa- uh, favourite collaborations are to date. And just also out of my own curiosity, I-, I wanted to know what it was like to work with Sagmeister and Walsh, just because I, you know, someone that I've admired growing up in the design community. That was that was fun. Like we worked with um, Zaping, um, who's now left. Um, so we worked on like the Jewish Museum identity in New York. So they use Apisu for their identity. Um, what we what we actually did wasn't ever used, I don't think. No, yeah. um, so we did like a bespoke cut of Apisu um, for them. It was like kind of like a really fun. I can't remember. It was like four it was years a, ago now. Yeah, it was a bit more of um, 
uh, more of like a development process to see yeah. what was and wasn't possible. And in the end, they decided actually they'd just use Apsu rather than the modified variant. Yeah. But I think it was for them to explore the possibilities of what can and can't be possible. Mm. So um, what what sometimes we find with, with clients is that They'll have an idea with maybe some uh, with some type, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, let's like change it to this." And it it can look really great, but then sometimes in in practice, it can become over like overdone and it kind of like it can grab too much attention. So you have to kind of rein it back. And I think that was probably what what um, what happened in this project. But um, it was a, it was a nice process to kind of work with them to see to explore the possibilities of what could be done and. Um, but they, yeah, they used, um, they ended up using our, our typeface Apisu on, uh, for the kind of secondary typeface for, or the primary typeface for the, um, for the Jewish museum out in New York. I just think it's amazing. You got your work everywhere. It must be so exciting. But, um, so I couldn't ask, like do, talking about ha- having to rein it in stuff, do you prescribe to the belief that kind of type should be invisible to some degree? Definitely. I think to some degree, I think it, ba- it's very much based on context. Um, I think you kind of look at uh, editorial work and I think, you know, there has a very big place in having expression to kind of communicate what the content is. But I think a lot of the time actually type is that, you know, if, if you know, I have friends who are not related to design at all and, you know, we, we always call it like, the, like, you know, our parents, if they're like talking about the typeface, something's wrong. There's some kind of invisibility however no matter how expressive you know if if the type is visible then somehow or like so visible that someone who isn't connected to design is talking about it then it's somehow wrong and i think that's really interesting um challenge that we have um as well especially when you're trying to sell these things right and so Mm -hmm. you need something to latch onto. like what's different about this or yeah i think um i mean like that kind of landscape's changed in in the last few years because a lot of large companies now understand that um the kind of value of of owning assets um especially is in terms of ip um and i think many like years ago that was it wasn't heard of and i think that also that landscape has changed in terms of so i'm kind of going off a bit subject here but in terms of smaller companies and smaller studios working with larger clients i think maybe 10 years ago that was unheard of whereas now that's becoming more and more prevalent and I think that's a really positive thing that kind of smaller outfits are able to work with two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten man teams um, rather than larger studios. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it's just nice that it, all of a sudden there's money trickling down to people that yeah. are doing things that they want to do, right? And, and, you know, making the industry more invigorated and, and interesting. Um when I was at uni, I know you guys kind of started out when you were at uni, so I, I just uh, designed a display font called Suave, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you downloaded it, you'd cringe. It's probably horrendous. But <laughs> so it was actually quite successful when it went like, through Behance and everything. And um, 
one of so I put it out for free at first yeah. and one day I received an email from a friend of mine saying Rick I think your font's been used on Paris Hilton's album cover <laughs> <All right. laughs> how so, did you feel oh god it was uh, so I, I googled it and then what I saw was a picture of her face six times on the front cover of, it's called Good Times right? okay so <laughs> were, were you fa- having a good time <laughs> I, I was her face six times around my font in the middle with the like garish pink and purple like colors like running through it and i was just like oh man it was supposed to be like a sophisticated 1920s art deco type right. typeface yeah, yeah. anyway um i was curious to know obviously i'm sure you guys have seen your font pop up all over the place what are some of the uh, best and worst use cases of, of your font oh got a few i've got a few stories for yeah, this one right it's um it's always a funny one because we get asked this a lot and it is always quite interesting because we do get to see see them in uh, some amazing places and some truly awful places as well. But um, I think it is always quite interesting because you never know, like when you release a typeface, you never know like how it's going to do and like what it's going to be used for. You know, like we've had, I think only like one typeface where we've designed it for a specific reason is actually got used for that. And I think pretty much everyone who designed fonts will that that will be the case for. Um, but um, in terms of best and worst, uh, best there's too many to mention. I think there's um, it's very subjective. But I think not not worst, but funniest was um, we we were doing a talk in uh, in Norway, and we travelled over there and we got off the plane and then went past. Uh, the equivalent of spa out in um, out in Norway, and they were using one of our typefaces to sell uh, hot dogs, but they'd like added on loads of bevel effects and drop shadows, and and just made it the most insane thing you've ever seen. I just thought that was absolutely brilliant because it was so out of context for what other people at the time had been using it for. They'd been using it for like those art books, very subtle ways, and then there was this like garish sign in like like 10 different colours and it was just amazing and I just thought it was uh, Did you get a snap great. of it? I did, yeah, yeah. Um, so again, we'll include that. We'll link it up. <laughs> um, there's various movement, oh, I call them movements, but so say uh, skating in the in the 90s or mm. uh, weddings or whatever, basically you've got these uh, areas of interest and there tends to be an associated typeface to, yep. or typefaces in and around it. Like, um, what areas do you see where you would either like to redesign it or kind of reclaim it and you'd like to design some type for it? Well, that's really difficult. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, we've, we kind of did one of those. Uh, so we... About three... No, five years ago now. Um, we designed a typeface for a primary school. The idea being that we would replace Comic Sans. Um... And that's always like a super interesting one because Comic Sans obviously has this like hatred, especially in in terms of designers. But it's actually like really well done, technically. Like you can't really pick it apart. But it's just like something that has been drawn out of context so many times that it becomes like a bad smell. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's like well, it was based it, on comics, right? So yeah. It, so yeah. it fits. Like yeah. it fits really well. Um, that was really interesting. So I think like that kind of ticks. Like a, a, a huge box for us, and that was actually like a really interesting journey because 
as Ed said, like in the previous question, it's it's the only context I think where our font's been used very specifically in that way. So like other primary schools, they're using it in like maths books for primary schools. So that you know that all of the uses are relational to the initial design idea. Um, but in terms of future, I'm not sure. Something on like a plain the, the, the big, reason... big, tr- big transport mode. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> Modes of transport would be great. <laughs> Anything. So <laughs> things that, that move. Yeah, things <laughs> yeah. that move. That would yeah. be a good one. <laughs> Steel uh, American Airways. Or, it's moved on from Massimo Vignelli. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, they changed it, didn't they? Because it was like one of the la- longest lasting logos, I think. I have to ask before I move on to business related questions. Um, do you ever wake up in the morning and think, if I have to stare at another letter, I might jump off a bridge? Yeah, that yeah. happens quite a lot. Uh, I mean, not maybe not quite that dramatic, um, but jump off a wall. But, um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, like our projects can sometimes they can be very quick, and um, we can design something that will be out of the door within a week. Uh, and they're great because they t- keep us kind of active and on our toes. Um, but other things, especially our releases, they can take anywhere from six months to three years. And if something's been in the studio for kind of three years, you you really res- kind of start almost start to resent it. And you're like, OK, I'm kind of really done with this. And it makes it very difficult to make any uh, big changes obviously because obviously the bigger the bigger the change it amplifies and filters down to every every small thing and so you have to be very certain and be able to carry this through for a long period of time and this can become quite difficult when you're you maybe kind of you, you've got to take your time through the whole process and you've got to really like believe in it the whole way through so yeah by the end of it it can be quite difficult by the end where you're like okay, I just really want to finish this now. And we've always tried to, whenever we've released something and got it out of the door, we've we've tried to never really go back and re- revise it too much. Um, it's always been like, oh, it's out there. Um, and it's kind of got to live its own life. Um, but yeah, generally we, it can become a bit of a, a labour of love with something kind of staying in the studio for so long. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, well, I'm glad that you're human and not robots, which is uh, <laughs> there. No, I love it. I love type. Like, all I do is just love crafting letter O's and or S's. S's seem to be particularly difficult, I find. Oh, yeah, massively. What, what's, yeah. Your, what's your worst or letter or favourite? I think the favourites are uh, like a cap R or actually I do quite enjoy uh, doing the cap S, but just because they're quite interesting characters, they've got more going on than like a cap H, for example. Um, but the prob- most problematic character I find is um, either a cap or a lowercase x. Because uh, they look really simple, but like to get them really balanced and working actually really well is quite difficult. So what letters do you start off with when you're, when you're designing stuff? Isn't there like a, a supposed formula for where you should start? Yeah, I mean, there is. everyone has their own different approach to it, but what we usually say, and when we kind of run uh, workshops or uh, or teach, we usually say to start with uh, a capital H and a capital O, because from an H, you can then break that down. And if you think of it as components and shapes, you can then quickly make lots of other characters very, very quickly. So from an H, you can make 
an E F T L and an I. Uh, so once you've got those, then from an O, you can then combine that and you can make uh, a D. You can make kind of like a C. You can make a G. Um, a U. You can make lots of from using this like the same kind of design principles. Maybe not exactly the same parts, but like the motions that you're using, like the weighting or uh, the contrast or the overall color, you're able to create this tool set that will quickly design a lot of characters for yourself. Um, and you'll soon find you're like kind of like 15 characters in before really actually adding any defining features to to your kind of typeface. How do you go about... Sorry, I, I wanted to move on from this, but it, it, these have just come to me. So like, how do you go about defining weights? Do you guys... So in the past, when my amateur approach is I just design the the size of the font that looks good and then I start stroking it and or like stroking it and cutting away at the type in order to to get the rough levels I'd like it to be and then yeah sure I mean that's that's pretty much uh not far different from what our approach is you know we'll add bits on take bits off and uh chop and change it how we need to and refine these individual weights uh we usually design um, the lightest and the boldest weights um, so then you can kind of interplay into the into the middle um, and kind of hypothesize these um, sometimes you'll have to design the middle weight as well to kind of really fine-tune this as well um, but yeah it's a kind of just working out what you need and what you need it for and what you need it to achieve as well so if you're designing a text face, that will go through lots of iterations to make sure that it runs well in body copy and in certain sizes. So it really depends on what the typeface, what you're designing it for as well. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So moving on to the business side of it, which is the side I always find way more interesting That's personally. Scary. But um, <laughs> so you, you've, you've already mentioned <laughs> that uh, you started this kind of straight out of uni, basically. And uh, you were fairly young and... Mm. I was curious to know, like, uh, so you said that when you were on holiday that you wanted to get this started, but did it start in a bedroom? Like, how, how did, like, what were the first steps about establishing this? Um, so I, when I, so I, I quit university in the second year and I worked out of my bedroom for six or seven months freelancing. Kind of got to a point with it where it's quite an isolated affair and felt that I needed a workspace. So I, jumped in and kind of rented a fairly cheap workspace and uh, kind of worked out where I met some fun people that kind of inspired me to keep doing things, I guess. And uh, so when we kind of came up with the idea of starting something together, Ed moved into that space. By that, mean, by that I just mean like putting his computer next to mine. <laughs> um, no grand affair. Um, and yeah, so it's like just very like ground up we didn't we invested enough money uh to print like a kind of a3 fold down i got 500 printed i think two color and then sent those out to i don't know five or six hundred yeah. people um and then we managed to get like two or three jobs or meetings and we were we, we did like a month worth of meetings i think and then we got like three or four jobs two or three jobs something like that and kind of went from there, really. So he was the first um, who can lay, first, the, lay first, the stake in the ground. First, 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 first ever job was a studio mate, Jake, um, commissioned us to do his website. So we, we did that. That was really fun. Then we did an art map, Deptford art map, um, and a gallery identity, just mm. like small jobs. So when was the tipping point when you thought, you know what, this could potentially work? Probably not for like a year and a half later. Like the first... Christmas, like winter out of university, was pretty dire. Um, we were in a, like a large studio space, and the whole of the back wall was like basically windows, single pane. And this was like the 2009, so we had like a really bad snow that year. And uh, it got so cold in the studio that we had to turn the fans off in our computers because they were like getting too like too cold because the movement of air. So to try and heat them up. Um, and we basically like ran ran out of money in the January. Um, we came because obviously, like you know, we, like obviously now we understand how business year works. You know, people get budgets at certain times. People go on holiday, so they just don't commission work, and money stops moving around. So we basically went on holiday, like completely like depleted from like not having any commissions, um, running out of money, etc. And then came back in the January. And we're like, okay, what, we, what exactly are we going to do here? And we got this like someone who'd seen like a bit of our work go out from the council rang up and like gave us this job that just like, literally like saved us um and then we, from there we just managed to use it and it was like enough money to kind of like pay a couple of months rent bit of food money etc etc so from there we kind of like slowly built on it and then by then we'd got enough of a kind of uh i guess like name to to kind of well, begin th really this was going to be my question to you guys so you, you were young when you started and you've worked yeah. with some pretty big names google yeah. blah 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 um 
you know, was ever, especially with something like type, which is quite a technical thing that's mm-hmm. going to be used on a lot of things, was, did youth ever come into it? Did where people met you and were like, mm-hmm. guys, like, can you actually do this? I mean, I know this is obviously audio and you can't see this, but we look quite young. Well, fairly, well, maybe not now because I look tired because I've worked. But, so how, um, how old are you guys? 30. Right. Um, and we started when we were 21, nearly mm. uh, 22. Um, so we look quite young. And I think it always felt a lot, a lot of, at the beginning, a lot of meetings were kind of like, oh, these guys are really young. Should we trust them? Um, and obviously this is still, I feel like it was like business, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's quite a long time ago now. This It wasn't the point when everyone was setting up their own studio. This was very much like you went to work for a studio for 10 years and then you might set up. Now, you know, nowadays it's not unheard of that you come out of university and maybe try and start a business. I think back then it was very much like unheard of or people were like, you know, really? Like I remember Hamish, um, who we work with now um, on typefaces, but um, he releases through us, and but also his Ed's tutor. Hamish. McGill. Right. Um, he he kind of said like oh like you know you kind of gonna set up a studio it's like really like and then like, <laughs> he said like they're kind of teaming up and like I said oh I'm gonna work with Ed and he's like oh no I understand that will kind of work from the kind of the differentiation between the two of you so it was really like a I don't know not an unheard of thing but it wasn't like um, so who, who, like were there clients that said. Like yes. vetoed you on the on the basis, or did you always manage to get over those hurdles? I know. I think the, most of the time we were vetoed. Actually, like sixty percent of the time. Really? I mean, people are like tough. Like, you know, they don't they don't want to listen to a couple of little kids in a room. You know, like why should I mean, being frank, like why why should they trust us? Yeah. Um, but I mean, a few people did, and and on reflect, we actually like worked super hard for them, and I think that's the thing. Like, we and um, we. And at that kind of level of interaction with the client very early on, I think it was actually, like, invaluable because you understand, like, why people commission you, why people trust in you, and then you kind of, maybe not knowingly, but you do you change what you offer. You so change how you represent yourself. Talking about not wanting to have two young kids in the room, like, obviously, I'm sure you went through some hurdles in order to get to where you are today. Like, mm-hmm. what were some of the biggest fuck-ups you made in the early days? Um, so we printed a, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm going to say. Yeah. We printed um, a leaf, well, it was like a A2 fold-down poster thing. Um, and the printer, I won't name the printer, but like, they, they, they fucked it up pretty hard. And um, we complained. And uh, in our naivety... <laughs> We thought there was enough fuck up that they maybe didn't want to get paid, <laughs> so we just like kind of like spent the money elsewhere, and then like the the invoice must have been lost in the post, and we just got it uh, like four months later, like a demand, but like shit, we don't have this money, um, so we just had to pay it, and I think it's like our last couple hundred quid. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like there's there's been so many like silly. We, we yeah. were kind of like. I mean, like we would, we did a lot of travelling when we were young as well to like doing lectures. I don't know how we winged it, but we did a lot of lectures, and um, we were kind of like kid-like, you know, just running around like causing chaos and like yeah, I a think... little bit, you know, like we were just a bit like 
we had fun. It was great, but that was now. <laughs> this is now. But if that's your worst uh, mess up, but like, so was that for a client that folder? That was a, that was a yeah. client. Yeah. So how did you get over the hurdle of having to explain to them that they cocked it up? Um, did you go to another printer or? I think for the client it probably wasn't that visible, but for us it was because obviously you, you don't have you know when you have such you don't have that much work you know everything there's so much more pressure on every single thing. So when we when it came back and it was like definitely wrong, it was like oh, this is really annoying, and you know it's like the wrong paper, but you know the client like. You know, yeah, they come yeah. Up, yeah, it's still paper. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah, client gets yeah. a local brochures. And <laughs> yeah, goes, oh, I love this. Yeah, this is great printing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, getting, yeah, just like I just did something for a friend of a friend recently, mm-hmm. and it's going to go in like a local little book. Do you know what I mean? I yeah, sent yeah. them something that took me five minutes. Like, I love it. I love yeah. it. I was like, <laughs> right, okay, so if everyone's I, this happy, yeah, yeah, like, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Um, so, how big is your team nowadays? And and the other to tie into that, like, how did the LA office come about? So, there's there's five of us um, in London at the moment, um, which is like so. The, um, there's three people who we work with, and obviously myself and Ed. So we're at this like weird point where it's actually like we were discussing this the other day how it's like somehow now scary that there's more people who work for us than there are us, which is this weird tipping point. Um, someone I said, someone said to me like. If you can't get the, your team around a one table, get scared. Which I it sounds about right. I think, but like, obviously, like, we still can. But there might be a point in the future when we can't. Um, and then LA, um, LA is Benjamin Crisson. Um, so Ben actually came over and did a quoted quotation marks in, uh, internship with us back in um, 2010. So obviously, like over the internet, you don't really know who people are so he applied we we're like yeah come over hang out he turned up and he's like yep i'm older than you so we're like this is no longer an internship and then we sort of like dawned as this like collaboration um and we got on super well he went back and he was living in new york at the time and just kind of started working together organically like things came in and we did an exhibition out in la he was when he was still living in new york in 2011 for toyota um and he flew out, and we just had a like, great time together. Um, and it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And it's like one of those things of like convenience as well as um, makes sense. He has a different, completely different standpoint to us on things and approach. So, like, sometimes there's projects, certain projects that just make complete sense to get someone in to just really drive it in a different, different way. I'm sure kind of, especially hearing your story about how you started this straight out of university, it's quite inspiring for young people that are just like, do you know what, fuck it, I don't want to go and yeah. work for a big mm-hmm. corporate monster yeah. um, and I want it on my own terms and to design the stuff that I want to design. But obviously there's a flip side to that, which is that you're running a business and that comes with its mm-hmm. own problems mm-hmm. and hurdles and headaches. For sure. And I just wanted, you know, honest for people listening, like what are some of the things that you wish you didn't have to deal with? Money. Emails. <laughs> People. I <laughs> um, oh, no, it's all kind yes. of enjoyable to a point. It's just like, it's like anything, you know, there's this, there's this sticky situations that you, that you have to learn, I think. And, and, and that's kind of fine. You have, you sort of grow with it. And as long as you're willing to like grow, develop with it and understand what your role is, you know, like recently, like now there's five of us, Ed and myself, our roles are changing. We do less work. You know, we we are 
we're directing people we're working with people and like we're not there doing the work as much as we used to be we still do but we don't do it as much as we used to but that's kind of like amazing to like you know like work with people and like um i'm probably going to be listening to this but like uh you know build up together what we're doing like together as a team that is like Mm. really enjoyable process and i wouldn't change it actually i think you know me and ed myself always said you know by being two people there's only so much you can do there's only so many ideas you have together so you have to add more numbers to make more ideas and to do different things and to grow your business and i think it's actually been one of the most rewarding things I think I've ever done is is work with different people as, as challenging as it is. Yeah, I think um, whenever we've brought someone else into the team uh, and into the fold, it's changed the way not only we work, but how our company is run. They always bring different skill sets and a different uh, approach to things, as Anthony was saying, and that enables us to A, do different jobs or do jobs better you uh, pretty much like nine times out of ten like we're able to actually do something that was would not have been possible had it just been us two or us three or like you know once we're kind of building and we're able to kind of bring in these different skill sets that um, we're able to kind of do something very very different for the same kind of jobs and that enables us to keep the approach and the output very fresh and uh, and unique as well because what we're very aware of is we don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and um, bringing other people in allows us to do different things. Um, you know, if someone is able, is, has more as a different background to us, we're able to then like go, right, okay, what do you want to do? Um, and then we can accommodate that and get involved with this and maybe be able to take on certain different types of projects as well. I think also it's like there's <clears throat> certain people working with us now like we both said we 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 see ourselves in them because obviously they're younger than us so it's like we see ourselves in them which is like super exciting because you know you, you don't get like jaded but you just get like yeah i've done this for a while <laughs> <laughs> you get jaded yeah um but it's like yeah it's still great but it's like that's great like that's really i don't know that's that's like something that you want to like build people and and help them and and see them that like, do amazing things and We've had interns in the past um, that have gone on to like have brilliant jobs and like working with other interns in you know they they never met and they're suddenly at the same company working together or they're doing like they're running this amazing campaign or like you working with them and it's like that's like seriously rewarding. It's somehow like some I'm, you know like flying the nest or something yeah, in yeah. a like really abstract way. You just kind of you know like building upon people and and like for me personally that's something I learned a lot. Like, uh, when I worked in Germany and, and like that kind of idea of like mentoring and, and trying to like give back, you know, it's not all like taking, it's like giving in some sort of abstract form. And, and, and like hopefully, you know, like the people that currently work with us and before feel that they, they got something from us. And, you know, it's like a, an exchange yeah. of, of levels, you know? Sure. Uh, moving on ever so slightly going back to kind of the work versus your tight foundry. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know, uh, you mentioned assets earlier. So, um, you know, there's a a whole landscape within marketing around passive income. Yeah. And to me, it seems like type is one of the very few areas where when you actually generate something, it genuinely does uh, passively earn you revenue or Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it certainly has for me on the one typeface I've designed anyway. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the upkeep for it is relatively minimal Tiny, if, it, if, yeah. if it's successful. Um, so two questions here. Number one, why, like, with a, with a client project, I try and explain this to people who don't really understand it, that, like, mm. you know, you get a client project, it's great, but then as soon as it's done, it's like, the, yeah, there's nothing else there. And so you get, a, a, you know, a chunk of cash, but it's not building upon mm. what it is you're trying to generate yeah. versus... If you create a typeface and it may earn you less in the short term, but obviously it's a More it's, in the future. It, it lives. Stretched, yeah. And um, so, why do you continue to do client work? Number one, and secondly, is there a kind of a bit of a Pareto principle with regards to your typeface? I.e., does are there a handful that make all your money? And, Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I think it's it's sort of like just a uh, three pronged approach. I think. Uh, in this day and age, you would be. I mean, I, th- I think we all know, like the kind of project-based work is tiring, and a lot of just a lot of work, basically. You know, like you said, like you, you do when you continue, which is like fine, but like where where it's just perpetual, basically. Whereas I, I think the way we try to approach it is we have the project-based work, which obviously is that model, but we also have the product, so they take pressure off each other. And if you can kind of balance those things as, you know, like the same business, if one of those is slightly down, the other one's slightly up, or if they're both up, you're in you're in double winnings here. And I think I think it's just like we the more the further we've gone gone along with working together, the more business minded we've become about it. And actually like now people say like, you know, what do you do? Like I'm a director. I don't sound like a designer. It's just like for me it's like a mentality of like so design, you know, I love designing still, and I like applying what we do day and day. But it's like I think it's for me, it's really interesting to run a business as well. If mm. if you're talking about it from a business perspective, then short like um, being that you've got a great reputation and a cult like following among type type uh, fanatics, would you not just concentrate on generating fonts? So there is uh, there is a valid case for that, but. Also, as well, um, it when you're just designing just fonts for commercial release, you can kind of come against this um, blank paper syndrome. You know, like if someone says design a font to any type designer in the world, they'll all go, what? Like they won't understand what to do. You know, like there's you can't just create something out of nothing. Yeah. And so a lot of our like, you know, like we need an excuse or a reason to create something and a lot of these can't stem from smaller commissions like a lot more design commissions but in terms of the client side of uh, projects these are actually now more so recently um, they're becoming not only just a um, day in day out project but they're also becoming projects that are actually challenging us and pushing us further and pushing our capabilities further so um, we're doing a lot more kind of different languages. We're doing a typeface at the moment that is um, to be used in the Thai language. And this is something that, you know, if someone said that even like a couple of years ago, it would have gone like, no way, like we could never do this. Um, and now we're able to kind of add this to our kind of repertoire um, and be able to offer this to other clients and be able to work with, build up a network of different people that we're able to consult with. And this constant challenging uh in the client side of things if 
you, if you're just doing one or the other, you wouldn't have this balance. And I think you need a certain degree of both in order to push uh, to push them both forwards or one of them forwards. You know, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over because it will become very stale and stagnant. You need to be able to change the direction you're going in uh, many times, even though it still looks like you're going kind of in the in one in one way you're able to explore different possibilities it might not be that they all turn out successful but at least you kind of gave it a go and like uh worked out what was and wasn't possible i think it's also kind of supply and demand it's like that kind of thing where like if you're an artist not saying we're you know artists but like same principle or even kind of companies if you like fashion is like if you make 600 you know all of your collections for 10 years across one year then you probably won't get as many sales if you did over ten years. It's similar, similar principle. It's like we, you know, it's better to do maybe slightly less and keep the demand up and the supply low than just keep hammering stuff. So you're out. trying to be like be Burberry rather than yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I think it's also like there's a limit. Like you know, like type is connected to fashion somehow or like taste zeitgeist, and I think. If you just release stuff, you kind of become flavor of the month maybe for six months, and people are like, uh. so I'm curious to know, like with regards to a client project, um, yeah, how do you uh, like decide how much you're going to charge? Because obviously, when you're doing it, it's probably for a reason. But then the scope extends. Do you like license the font to them for a duration of time, or do you keep the intellectual property rights, or do you just sell it? Or depends what the the premise of the commission is and who it is um i think if the clients come to us for a bespoke typeface we would probably push them to if they were happy to pay enough sign ip over um because it makes sense business-wise yeah and usually when someone wants something very specific it is exactly that it's specific for them you know if a client requests something and they go, right, we want it to be based, say, for example, off our logo. You know, there's no point in us retaining the IP to then sell that because no one wants a font that is based off of company A's logo, you know? like As we spoke about earlier, <laughs> yeah. font ends up all over the place. Yeah, exactly. yeah, of course. Um, you can is what they're doing somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but generally, I think... Um, uh, especially more recently, um, a lot more companies are just seeing it as as maybe, yeah, like something that they can buy and then own. And, you know, otherwise, because they could just go out and buy a typeface, you know, and license that for whatever uses they need. But usually if they're going for a type uh, a type commission and, you know, going the, the bespoke route, they usually want it solely for them, you know, otherwise kind of what's the point. Um, so if they're, they're able to tailor it exactly for them, um, so usually it's it's exclusively um, uh, the IP is transferred over. Okay, great. I think that's... Uh, oh, I've got one more question for you, which is how do you currently market your fonts? Abstractly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We don't really have like a marketing team. team. <laughs> <laughs> There's five of you us. Just, you <laughs> just go on your the, the quality of the work sells itself. Um, I mean, we have like ideas that I think we want to project to different clients um but i don't think we ever 
we never like hard sell. I don't know. I think I mean it's, for us, it's worked this way that we just kind of made stuff and things. Luckily, so which is like a beautiful. So, like I'm sure for you, like so, like to like how much is it? How much is a full family, for example? Uh, depends how many cuts. Um, so like regular metallic bold. Uh, it's about four hundred ish. So four hundred pounds online. Yeah, there's probably quite a. Uh, you can do a lot of you could do a lot of uh, exposure with four hundred pounds if you yeah. know if you're only you can after, buy a lot of Primark for four hundred pounds. Mm. <laughs> if you're only after one sale, I mean, like you know, you could probably find a funnel that could achieve one type sale mm. for four hundred pounds or, yeah. or considerably less. Um, something worth exploring. <laughs> I'd yeah. recommend it. <laughs> like, if, if you can pump two hundred pounds into into you know spreading amaz- your amazing work without being too hard sell and make a sale out of it, yeah. Then surely you're just pouring more money in the top and yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know it's not about that when you're a creative and it's a, an artistic endeavor, but I think I, I think we're more like um, I don't know, just kind of like you want it to be a bit more organic and yeah not too much as you say like the hard sell and it being kind of rammed down people's throats i think it has to be in all uh this kind of natural filtering of of like it being out there but then there does still have to be a certain degree of marketing i think it's always like a a difficult people have very very different approaches to this across what we do and we find it really interesting to see what other people are doing in terms of like how they market their things and what they do and what they don't. And uh, various things work for one pe- person and won't work for another. And um, yeah, I think there's lots of different approaches. I don't think there's a right and wrong. It depends on who you are and who you're approaching to and um, who your kind of target audience is. But yeah, I think there's still something we're still Because uh, just off the top of my head, I was th- I'm thinking like, you know, if you know that one of your typeface works particularly well for a certain time of year because of the style mm-hmm. style of it, well, you could literally just float an image, with yeah. no sales around it, just like look at this beautiful type yeah, that yeah. we make. Uh, saturate the market around the time of that that event, mm-hmm. and op- off the back of it, you know, someone's going to see it and say, "That's the kind of t- font I need for my project." Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I think th- th- saying this kind of stuff. Uh, takes away the whole wall of of allure around like being a artistic uh i think i think it's like uh there's like certain families that do it like very directly which i have no problem with but for us i think it's more we're not more interested in people buying into like more of an idea of what we want to achieve maybe and like because I'm not, I'm, I'm totally not against like marketing there's no such thing as like selling out in graphic design in my opinion it's just like you know, if you can have the most commercial value for doing something you believe in, then then you win. So it's I don't really have. I think it's more like I think like it's just like advertising, like a very like this is the letters buy this font. It feels like very dirty <laughs> somehow, <laughs> and I think it's like it's better when it's more like abstracted. So you said um, you just mentioned kind of briefly there on your vision, or yeah. so what is what is the mission for you guys? What in for the next like ten years? Yeah, or? I'm just like you know what what's you've done everything right. Well, I mean, no, I think there's still a lot of uh, ground we haven't covered, and I think there's still lots of jobs that we'd like to approach. And we've been very lucky over the last few years to work on some amazing projects and work with some amazing people. More importantly, and uh, I think definitely to expand upon that, 
and probably to expand our team uh, to get these different opportunities to work on different types of projects. So we've always found that the most interesting projects are the ones that we've ever done are the ones that scare us and where we kind of come out of the meeting and go, oh boy, we can't do that. You know, like go, we're a bit on edge going, you know, is this is this really possible? And, you know, because we we believe in what we do and uh, we work, work forwards to kind of accomplish that. And I think that they're the more, in terms of in the future, I think we want to kind of take on more of those that put us in those kind of, sticky situations where you go right can we or can't we do this and like how do we how do we accomplish this goal and how do we fix this problem um so i think that's kind of i think also like maybe apply well it might surprise some people apply what we've learned outside graphic design and type design as like two people working together um i think what we've realized especially in the last year is that actually like the formula isn't just about type design it's about applying that elsewhere um this is not on the short term but i think long in longer term i think we would probably like spread the net wider and try and encompass different disciplines or activities and i think that's healthy because you can't it's hard to it's like kind of people wouldn't change your jobs you know like no one really like you know our parents generation they would stay in the same job for 20 years and that's kind of normal whereas like these days people kind of move around like constantly I think it's the same premise. It's it's like, okay, well we we've worked for like some of the biggest companies in the world now. Well, how else can we like push this in different directions? And I think that that excites me because it's first it's scary. Secondly, it's it's just like something I haven't experienced before. And and like, you know, we'll meet different people and we'll have different experiences that I I wouldn't want to that I wouldn't thought we could have. Exciting um, times. Exactly. Yeah. So before I ask you the the final question, I can quickly fire some quick fires at you. Mm-hmm. So uh, favorite typeface at the moment? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> at, uh, <laughs> at the moment or in well, uh, or favorite typeface of all? Can I come back to that one? When okay, I think sure. Terrible <laughs> <laughs> answer. Um, some of the typographers you admire? Rena. Um, Caslon at the moment. Uh, looking into his really old stuff, obviously, but um, uh, his the original drawings of that is is amazing and um, kind of very intrigued. Any modern day ones? Let's uh, give some folks some credit for their uh... Uh, the guys at Line Two, guys at Grilly. Yeah, uh, the guys at um, Commercial Type as well. Uh, they're doing some amazing stuff. They're like pretty much a lot of our contemporaries are doing some yeah. doing some yeah, really yeah, lovely sure. stuff. If you could redesign any logo, which logo would you redesign? It's got to be a bad one, isn't it? Because, or like oh, not a know, bad one it... because ugh, all the good ones... Is this, are these going to be like one word answers? Well, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Nike? I don't know. Um, That'd be an interesting one. To try and... To try and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um... T- uh, British Airways. Oh, yeah, that's a good mm. one. It's terrible. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there goes my points. <laughs> um, so, favourite books that either you, you personally like or that you'd recommend to people? Oh, okay. This is this is actually genuinely a very difficult question because we have a ginormous book collection uh, at our studio and we've kind of stopped buying books recently because it's just got a little bit ridiculous and we can't, we keep forgetting 
books that we own. Um, however, a book that still resonates with me quite a lot is not even really type design, but it's um, uh, TDR, which is the Designers Republic um, slash Idea magazine special from like back in like 2003 or something. Um, and it's this incredible book that showcases all of their work in the most elaborate way possible. And it's um, I managed to get a copy um get hold of a copy and it's absolutely stunning um it's in like this like cardboard slipcase and it's just like one of the most beautiful over-the-top books i've ever ever had the pleasure of looking through so um probably like artist ephemera was this exhibition um in america i can't remember what museum it was and it's just basically like ephemera designed by artists so obviously at the beginning of their careers they do like all the invites for their exhibitions so there's like this weird juxtaposition between kind of like an artist who does a one-off piece making something that's a multiple and it's like the most bizarre but incredible book um kind of like design's a bit dicey but um the content's like incredible like really really fun um so yeah good suggestions favorite movies Ooh, um i feel like saying like oh no that's tough that is difficult um Paddington. <laughs> There's, um, oh God. I don't know, aesthetically, like something like Requiem for a Dream. I, um, I was literally just talking about that in the office. I was showing the drug scene. As a mate, like, I mean, it's like, don't ever watch that if you have a few drinks. Um, but it's aesthetically, it's a b- brilliant. Um, I did some work for Darren a few years after he did that, and like, still like super like uh, for wrestler and fountain and just like both st- just very like aesthetically driven succinct films like incredible um very different to what we do but just like have big mm. big kudos um i think apocalypse now it's still a film that's just amazing i just think there's there's so many parts of it that are just absolutely brilliant and uh marlon brando is absolutely brilliant in it so uh yeah i just absolutely love love the film so this was something i was going to ask you before and i failed to do so is there something that uh we can steal of your work or maybe it's a typeface or something that we can uh give away to the listeners uh like space mono space mono it's it's Mm. for free yeah google fonts right (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that's um we that is completely. It's it's quite interesting because this was the only project that we uh, that we have. We've given away all of our source material as well, so yeah, you, you can, can see everything we did. All right. Well, I tell you what. I'll link that up for anyone that wants to uh, download that. Or you can download it. You can use it online via Google Fonts. Um, fuck, I feel like I'm selling it. You can make. Like, you can <laughs> not allowed to sell. It's all about the soft sell. Remember. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, but yeah, no. It's. I think it's like a. Uh, yeah, that's super, like just write letters to your mum or something in that. All That'd right. be cool. Wicked. Um, <laughs> so, final question. Uh, no, where can people get hold of you, number one, if they want to reach out? You can ring. I quite mm. like when we get phone calls. Yeah. It's better to ring than email. Mm. Email is just like. Where can people find your number, though? On our website. Yeah. I can, t- I can say it now. Okay, go, go for now? it. Go on. 020 1782. One seven eight nine seven nine seven eight two. There you go. Yeah. Get, get, get phone in, <laughs> and then last, last, last question. Uh, if you could give the world one piece of uh, advice to help them live a, a better and more meaningful life, what would it be? 
keep at it, I think. Just uh, don't listen to anyone who says you can't do it and just keep going and uh, believe in what you're doing. I think. It's like, yeah, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to change the logo, but yeah, keep the tagline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the full rebrand. Yeah. <laughs> Strategic direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was lovely to meet you guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks really so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me mailing list. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting. They're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Stores Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.